Hey guys, you got Christina Gilchrist here, also known as the Dialysis Warrior Blind Chick. And I'm here with my Moosey boy, my Moose the Pomsky service dog. And. Hey, uh, what about me? Oh, yeah, I have Michael Gilchrist is here. The caretaker. And this is Living on Dialysis podcast. And this is a disclaimer we are not doctors. This is just the opinion of Living on Dialysis Facebook group. And always follow up any advice you have with your team and your doctors. And again, this is just an opinion. So if you don't like it, tell me yours. Bye. Hey guys, Christina Gilchrist. This is Michael. And And we got Sam and Lacey Trevino here. And this is Living on Dialysis Podcast. So uh, we'll just go ahead and uh, throw Sam into the mix. And basically, Sam... Take the, it. Yeah. Tell us your story. Oh, well, you know, again, uh, thank you guys for reaching out and having us, uh, you know, just kick back and talk about our experiences together because we learn from each other every single time we meet. And yeah. uh, it's... It's so valuable, and you guys, you know, watching what you do, you guys are really out there pushing the limit, trying to not just say, you know, no, but, you know, let's think outside of the box and do something different. And this is what we're trying to do as warriors. We're trying to change the way people look at us. We're trying to change the way people treat us. And uh, we're trying to educate people because ignorance is a real thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a lack of knowledge. But we are here to open our mouths. You know, uh, something I like to say is kidney disease is a silent killer. Everybody knows it. And the only way we're going to, we're going to, you know, really pass along the education is to make some noise. Yeah. So. That's what we're here for, and thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, amen, good. Sam. I I agree with all of that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, um, a little bit about myself. Uh, I uh, my name is Sam Trevino, and uh, we, my wife and I, have a company called Urine Inspiration, and um, <laughs> you know we're out there trying to really uh, educate people about about kidney disease and and the top two main killers and. You know, which are diabetes and high blood pressure. A lot of people don't know that, and, uh, but that came with the struggle, and we all have a struggle. And so, mine started in 1992 or three, and when I was 19 years old, um, I thought I had the perfect life, and I was trucking along, and and uh, just started my first year in college, my freshman year. I was playing a high level of college soccer. I was. Uh, dating the girl of my dreams. Uh, hey. <laughs> hey, I love that. I, I, I had all the friends that I thought I could ever have, and uh, everything was going great. Suddenly, I showed, you know, became sick with kidney failure, and I was told I had two choices: I could slip into a coma because my blood work was so bad, Whoa. or or I could uh, start in-center hemodialysis and. Um, and then I was met with the, the news that my life would never be the same again. I would never be able to do this and that. You won't be able to do that. And that, that statement went ended with, 
you will never play soccer again. Dang. And in one second, one second, I lost my entire identity. I lost my past, my present, and my future. And I had no idea who I was anymore. Uh, I went from being a person with dreams and goals to being a patient. Yeah. Number one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, and people treat you differently when you're a patient. And uh, we're not patients. We're people. You know, we come from all walks of life. We're lawyers, doctors, teachers, students, you know, mothers, fathers. friends, family. Yo, mechanics. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. And And hot blind chicks. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, that was was the news that I had. And, uh, you know, I just, I I was... which is so heartbreaking. I think it's hard to explain to people how devastating that truly is. And with you being a teenager and being told, like, guess what, buddy? You're not you anymore. Like, it's so devastating. Yep. See, you and, know, Chris- and, uh, and Christina's <laughs> is so close to that, too, because she was her early 20s and kind of the same thing of, hey, you have this life and overnight, bam. It is all this now. And it's like, you you just kind of, back then, especially back then, it was, okay, well, this is what we do, you know. Exactly. And and I like that you said it's all this now. It is all this. There's there's responsibility uh, involved, but it's not over. Yeah. Not only this. There's more to it that people don't tell you the positive side, you know? Yeah. Yes, and, you know, as uh, as the four of us have set as our mission, we're trying to change that. Mm-hmm. You know, living on dialysis, you know, uh, and, and that's what we're here to tell people is, hey, yeah, okay, so I went on dialysis, but guess what? My brain wouldn't stop and my heart never stopped. So that gave me an opportunity every single day mm-hmm. to get up and and chase right. face the day, yeah, you know, and uh, and and do more than anybody ever expected of me. So you know, I started dialysis at 19 years old. My my girlfriend Lacey, now my wife, my superhero, yeah. um, <laughs> she she came with me, and uh, and if you heard Lacey's message, you know she was there from the beginning, and. We were taught everything there was to know about dialysis, from the wheels to the blood pump to the IV pole and to cannulation, obviously. And, you know, dialysis saved my life. Um, I don't know why all these people, you know, your life is not over. This is a major disease. I, I understand that. But do you know that if any other major organ should fail in your body you don't have a second chance yeah you're and in serious trouble you said urine that's funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love it oh my gosh me too that's perfect <laughs> sorry it always comes up. oh my god it does to me all the time oh i bet <laughs> oh my gosh i love it i can be in the most professional of meetings and somebody's like urine i'm like ah, ah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's great it's brilliant i am a but, uh, you know, uh, dialysis saved my life. And, and those people 
demanded that we were involved, engaged. Yes. We yes. weren't we weren't puppets. We weren't cattle. Did, no. We didn't walk into dialysis and you know I didn't roll my arm lo- out like a party favor and turn my head the other way. You know and and, and we were involved. It was required. It was expected. And we quickly grabbed the reins and, and took off with it. And, um, the, okay. and and studies are showing that the more that a patient and a care partner, if, if possible, if it, but if a patient is engaged and involved in their treatment, mm-hmm. they gain control back, which yep. leads to better outcomes, which leads to less depression, which yeah. I mean less hospitalizations and and people take you seriously when you're ready for a transplant and um that's what we have to spread that that news that if you're going to put yourself on a transplant list put your money where your mouth is and stop acting like a victim yeah start yeah do your part i mean uh you know people are like i can't i can't you know i can't i can't i I can't can't. can't. yes you can yeah and uh, you know, like I said, dialysis saved my life. I was able to marry that girl in my dreams. We both finished college. I finished my college soccer career on dialysis. That yeah, is which nuts. Is, yeah. That's incredible. I, in center dialysis, playing soccer. And what people need to realize too is you are doing an extreme sport and only allowed to drink, what, 32 ounces, if that? Yep. And, and, and that's, 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 beyond crazy i go hiking and drink that within 20 minutes so i mean it's it's just nuts yeah i, so. I actually be, I, I, you know became to the point where i could play one entire soccer game and not drink one drop of water that's Dang. nine minutes of running without a sip of water yeah and um you know wow. uh, just uh, it didn't it wasn't easy it took time it took a lot of conditioning effort but uh, all those people I knew those people that were telling me you how you know you don't have long to live people would ask ask us that how long do you have to live how uh, longer than you if you ask that question again. yeah exactly you know, yeah put the cheeseburger down and I'll have this talk with you you know <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean it's the same thing of you know it's like well we're out hiking we're living but this is just part of the definition of who we are so yeah, this is it's a part-time job. Yeah. Thing we have to do. Can I ask you to share something funny? When you were driving the van. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, this this story. Well, of short. My college soccer team. You know, every <laughs> other weekend we had to take a road trip, and uh, for well, away games. But uh, if I could go, I was in center. So. Most of the time, my college team left on a Friday, and I was dialyzing. If I was able to dialyze early enough, I was able to go with the team. Wow. Um, and that was an inconvenience because I missed, you know, my time with my teammates and field time and all that good stuff. But um, we made do. And, and But it was funny because uh, one of these road trips we went on, uh, we were stuck in a 15-passenger van and and we're riding along a couple of hours, and one of the underclassmen speaks up, and he's like, hey, coach, uh, can we stop to use the restroom? And one of the upperclassmen yelled back, yeah, we'll stop when Tammy has to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> and he just said, he just okay. Said, he said, okay. And about, <laughs> about 30 minutes later, he was asking, hey, Sammy, uh, 
uh, do you have to pee anytime soon? <laughs> I, I, said, I replied with, uh, not till Monday. And <laughs> the entire van just died. You're like, uh, yes, we have friends that he played with. We still have. And they knew way back when. But they knew and they were like, oh, yeah, when Sammy has to pee. Yeah, so, a great story. That's but, awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, but, you know, um, we were able to completely thrive on dialysis. And, you know, I, I just love for those people who have, you know, doubts to either contact you guys or contact us. Yeah. You know, because I know not only, you know, Christina and myself and Lacey and Michael, I know other people in my immediate family a, a kidney disease unfortunately runs in my family and um you know that there i've seen those people living just as well and they're all ages and all you know all sexes and you know they uh they also have understood how to deal with dialysis yeah that's awesome so so, so go through the go through the process of when you act when you when you actually decided to get your kidney and what what was the turning point to decide to have the transplant oh man that's a great question so uh we over time we ended up doing uh seven years in center uh three days a week at four and a half hours and then when uh the first portable hemodialysis machine came out uh we were i became the second patient in texas wow. to be on uh, next stage, the portable hemodialysis. And we went from dialyzing, uh, we went to dialyzing five to six days a week, two hours and 15 minutes to two and a half hours per treatment. Easy, easy. And uh, I felt better. And all that time that I was, I was dialyzing more often. That was, that was mimicking real kidney function. So we have people out there that are saying, well, I feel good on three days a week, but my response to that is, but your body is poisoning itself yeah. four days, uh, actually seven days a week, but, you know, that's that's a lot of damage you're doing to yourself, and um, I thought it was doing great. Everything was going well. I was a high school teacher and a, a high school soccer coach, and, and one day uh, I ended up going to the hospital with grand mal seizures. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, Lacey rushed me to the hospital and found out I had a six millimeter blood clot in the speech center of my brain. Oh, and my. So, you know, people always ask, you know, what was what was the turning point? Was it dialysis? Or was it something that you learned at dialysis? No, I actually had stroke. And, you know, people don't people don't understand we call that a stroke of luck because uh i they had to evacuate that six millimeter blood clot and that means they had to some a surgeon had to put his hands in my head uh you know make a huge question mark shaped incision in my my skull and and remove this clot and uh, i woke up completely speechless uh, with what we call aphasia, and uh, if you're not familiar, it's the same disease that Bruce Willis was recently diagnosed oh, wow. with. Oh, wow. Okay. 
I woke up. I couldn't. I didn't know the alphabet. I didn't know A B C one two three. I didn't know Spanish or English anymore. So did you not know it, or you couldn't speak that you knew it? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So there was no connection between my brain and my mouth, and uh, and so I could understand what people were saying. I didn't recognize the alphabet when they sang it to me. Um, you know, uh, it's songs. It, it songs. I, I, none of that would compute for my brain. And it took about three and a half months to, um, to gain some of that speech back. However, I stayed in the hospital in neurological ICU, which is one of the worst places to be. Uh, I stayed there off and on for 22 days, oh, 22 wow. days and, uh, four titanium plates, 10 steel screws in my head. 55 staples, I mean, you know, uh, wasn't well, fun. yeah, it wasn't fun. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, one day, one of my last days, I had a nurse come into the room and she was looking at my chart and she said, uh, Mr. Trevino, you're, you're a dialysis patient. And my, you know, mind you, I couldn't speak. So I just nodded my head. Yes. And, uh, she said, she asked me, why haven't you had a transplant yet? And I shook my head, no, and I, you know, I was like, nope. I waved my hands at her, you know, waved her off. And I kind of told her, I was like, he's, there's some history there. He's not comfortable with that right now. Right. You know, he's doing okay. And she was like, all right, but. So, I, and I've already seen in my family two rejected kidneys. And I had seen what that damage was and how hard that was on my family member. So, I, I was happy. I mean, happy to die on dialysis. So, you know, no big deal. I'm good. Dialysis has saved my life so far. I'm cool. And and then this lady, she was an angel. I, I tell everybody she must have been an angel because she came in and she sat down on my level. She sat in a stool eye to eye. She didn't stand over me. She didn't point her finger at me. Uh, and she sat down and said, well, I'm a kidney transplant recipient. Wow. And, and I was in the hospital for six days. I just spent 22 days in the hospital. That sounds kind of good. Sounds like <laughs> a state of execution. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it just, she told me that she let me feel her transplanted kidney in her, in her abdomen. And she planted this seed and walked out of my life forever. And I never, I still don't know her name to this day, but uh, she was the reason I recovered from that, that, you know, lack of speech, that aphasia. Uh, one day I was talking to Lacey and I said, hey, what do you think about me having a transplant? And if you le- listened before, she, she said, you know, I want to be tested and put her hands on her hips like a superhero. And <sighs> I, I, I told her, I don't want to do that to you, which we hear all the time from our other patients. I'm on the list, uh, or I have a, uh, a loved one that wants to give me a kidney, but I don't want to do that to, to you. And I said that to Lacey, and immediately, uh, she didn't tell you what her original response was. <laughs> <laughs> her original response was, you're already doing this to me. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah, that shook me to my core, and I realized right then and there that kidney disease wasn't just affecting the patient. 
it was affecting friends, family, care partners, caregivers, doctors, nurses, lawyers, all those people are involved because of our disease. And, you know, um, so I realized that fast that, okay, uh, my wife is just as important as I am in this as my care partner and my now my possible donor. And, uh, you know, we went to, to the nephrologist and if you don't know that story, um, Lacey was very adamant about being tested. Uh, there may have been a threat involved. <laughs> <laughs> Lacey, I love you. Like, I love you. <laughs> yeah, she, she's uh, good about leaving that out. But, you know, we live in Texas and, you know, people are, are armed around here. So she's, <laughs> she was oh. ready for that. They shit. And uh, so, I don't take kind of confrontation yeah, or threats. Yeah, regardless, <laughs> the doctor said, "Okay, we can have you tested." And uh, at a nine percent chance, where we were a match. I was right. That is crazy. It's amazing, truly. Especially yep. not being the same blood type. That is just nuts. Yeah. So. And so you know, it's okay. And uh, if it's gonna be, it's gonna be, and it was, and and now it is, and. Um, we're but doing... I was also ready to know that if I had to donate to somebody else to move him up the list, like you said, Michael, I was comfortable with the SWAT program, too. Absolutely. I mean, for donors. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and, you know, anybody that knows someone with diabetes or high blood pressure, that's a risk. And that's pretty much all of us in the United States. We work too hard. We never take a vacation because we work so hard. We eat terribly, terribly, yeah. um, and and it's just a self-fulfilling cycle. And you know, we have to do something to change that and teach people how to take care of themselves. But before they end up in the same boat as we were, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's preventive, and sometimes it isn't. And I'm really grateful for all the education that we are seeing. In our 20, 30 years in this disease, uh, we didn't have as much education. And what you guys are doing right now is amazing because the more awareness we can have around kidney disease and prevention and living with this disease, we need it. And so I'm grateful for you guys, and thank you so much. Well, when 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 it comes to that, it all got planted with a seed. And you guys planted that seed that long ago. It's true. By just sharing the story and just by chance we were invited to go to this really nice. I was just excited to have a steak dinner. But <laughs> we actually met Sam and it was, my, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, this guy played soccer. This guy did this. This guy did this. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? And honestly, like, I remember sitting and just hearing the story and about halfway through, like, there's this light bulb. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's doing this at home? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it truly, that moment, like, Sam changed my world. Yeah, you truly did. It was honestly meeting you changed everything for me. Well, you know what? It was all those people that were responsible for us learning how to do this because, you know, all these options didn't 
back in, when we started in 1993, what were you, Christina? Like five? I was Let's 11. Yeah, she was 11. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You were 11. So, so cute. Yeah, back in the day, uh, 1993, home dialysis, literally the conversation I had with my nephrologist was, home dialysis is a privilege, not a right. And since that day, that has never left my head, and it never will because it's going to dictate how we change the future of dialysis. Home dialysis should be the first choice. Yeah. It leads to better outcomes and yeah. the right things you do. And just by doing this podcast, I have learned so much that in the 60s and 70s, more than 40% were doing at home. And it was Congress and government that got involved. Medical and um, insurance. Made it so, hey, this has to be a hospital procedure. And it went down to point three. And I'm like, why the hell are we being so stupid and doing this? And it, 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 it's, it's like when we go in a clinic and you've got this, this old guy that's just sitting there with his hands in his, you know, in his face and just almost crying being like, this is supposed to be the best years of my life. And then wow. we sit down and Christina just starts talking. And it's like, you can see the light bulb and the flash going off. Kind of like the same flash we got with Sam. Of, oh my God, we can be camping. Yeah. We can be doing this. We can be going to concerts. We can be, you know, yes. just doing yes. stuff like this. And, and, and here eventually, we can be going on vacation and meeting, meeting Sam and... Lacey and having a big giant beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you better bring a diving board for that beer. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> well, Sam, I want to thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Again, you and Lacey are some inspirations to me. You have, you have, you have personally put me through some hard times that oh. I didn't think I was going to be able to get past. Yeah. And again, Sam... Like I said, I was messaging your wife at like 2 a.m., but she helped me so much. And there were times where, you know, I, I, I have a tough exterior, but with Lacey, I have been able to tell her my feelings about all of this, and she has been able to just help me throughout everything. And so deep down, you guys will be going down as truly one of my heroes and best yeah. friends. And I so. just want to tell you guys, like, Quit trying to one-up each other, okay? <laughs> like, I know. Stay out of the hospital, guys. Enjoy life, right. okay? Okay, we're done already. Let's just go have fun. You All right, guys, Sam. So you tough. guys seriously are just incredible. I hope you guys know what wonderful, strong, amazing people you are. Because truly, both your stories are so inspiring. And you both are just warriors. Um, we see the same in you, both of you. Absolutely. And uh, we're just so proud to know you guys. And, and uh, God put us on this path together, and we're all warriors. We didn't ask for any of this, but you know what? We're going to like make sure that we show how to live in diversity and share it with other people so that they may do the same. Yep. All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. This is uh, the Living on Dialysis podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. All right, bullet train stars, well, Brad Pitt and pretty much 
everybody else that's ever been born. It actually has a ton of cool people in it. And uh, Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock. For some reason, they're doing a whole bunch of movies together. But it, it's funny. Um, the menu, the previews before the movie is the menu. Uh, Marvel Studios, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Till, which is a new preview I've never seen before. It's about a black kid being lynched. Um, Breaking is about a guy that robs a bank. And there's some underlining issue of him being a veteran or something like that. Um, Beast, it's the Lion movie. It looks okay. Don't Worry Darling, they've way over-advertised this, but it looks interesting. Smile, which I'm sure there's some twists in that one. Uh, The Invitation, which looks interesting. The Woman King, looks cool. Oh, and that damn Nicole Kidman AMC commercial. Stop showing it! But here's the preview for Bullet Train. Deer Creek International Business Solutions, how can I help you? I am ready. Well, that's great, Ladybug. Ladybug? And your operational name? Oh, I see what you're doing. Ladybug's supposed to be lucky. You don't have bad luck. Really? My bad luck is biblical. I'm not even trying to kill people and someone dies. Remember the suicidal bellboy? You drove him to the hospital. Hang in there, buddy! And he didn't die. Okay, the wedding. Tequila? Johannesburg. It's time for some change. Do you want it simple for your first job back? Doesn't get simpler. You need a fun person to their case. It's too easy. What? Remember those two wackos from the Bolivia job? The twins? Yeah, I'm not so sure they're twins. Get off the train. You stab me? I would never stop coming for you. What? I missed my stop. Something else going on here. Hi. You don't remember me. You look like every white homeless man I've ever seen. Really? You don't remember me? lady i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm i'm working on it get off at the next stop not so easy when you say it one little prick from this you know what happens yes your blood congeals clogging your brain i said yes ah, shit balls you guys who want to hear the whole story what's waiting for us in kyoto the white death with his army of assassins there's this soulless psychotic leader with the largest criminal organization on the planet shoved right inside of See the white death letting any of us off this train. We need to come up with a plan. I'm gonna hurt people. What's happening to your face? Maybe there was a little head trauma? Maybe. I, I gotta get off this train. Sorry, buddy. Okay, Christina and Tyler, what did you guys think of Bullet Train? I liked it. It was really good. I loved it. I thought the banter between the characters was amazing. Go and see it. It's hilarious. Funniest show I've watched in a long time. It is funny as hell. Go see it. Okay, Bullet Train was absolutely amazing. Every single section was funny as hell. Brad Pitt is just funny. He 
doesn't even really have to make a punchline or tell a joke. He just has to make a comment, and it just works on every single scene. And just all the cameos that are in it, it just everything just kind of flows. And there's so many people that are introduced into the story, like this piece counteracts into this piece and this piece interacts with this piece and every single piece is a puzzle and I'm usually not very good at this stuff because well I'm just not very smart when it comes to this stuff but this one I could follow exactly of this piece interacted with this piece and just the entire puzzle went together amazing now I want to go on just a little bit about uh the caretaker stuff that we did last week um I just want to tell you guys that Christina is absolutely amazing. Today I found out that she has to go in for surgery again because her fissure and graft isn't working. She's getting some insane pressure on her fissure that's been tied off when we are cannulating her graft. And her main concern was about us going camping on Friday. You know, there was a thing called sourdough days, which... They have booths and events and games and all that stuff. It's kind of like uh, a city fair, but it's up at our camping property area. And me and a bunch of friends, uh, we're pretty excited to go. And Christina's main concern is, okay, well, I've got surgery on Friday morning. And after that, we'll get packed up and go camping. And I'm like, okay, well, calm down. We'll see how you're feeling. And honestly... I can book at home Saturday morning and pick you up if 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 that if you're feeling okay, but I mean she's she's gonna be knocked out and sliced open again, and in a couple of hours after that she wants to go camping. It's kind of like the last time that she had major surgery like this where she had a graft put in. She did Jim's podcast, which was absolutely amazing because I know she wasn't feeling good, but she does all of the things that she feels that need to be done when, honestly, she can just take a break. And everybody will understand if she takes a break. So when you're dealing with your warriors and your kidney patients or, or anybody that may be having some trials, think back and just think of how much they're actually giving. Because I know Christine would rather stay home, but... She is all hyped up and ready to go camping. Because we do have a lot of fun, but honestly, it's my thing. But that's part of being a caretaker and a warrior that we give and take. And some days are easier than others. And this week, I've got a whole bunch of people that have taken vacation. So I'm kind of filling in as the lead. And now I have to go to my boss, Collins, on sometime this week and let him know that hey, Christina's going in for emergency surgery on Friday and I won't be able to come in. So I've got to double down and make sure that I get all of my tasks done this week so that just because I'm gone there isn't much that needs to be taken care of. And this is some of the trials that we have. And if you understand a lot of these trials, get on my Facebook page, Living on Dialysis, and send me a message. Tell me how you're dealing, because I think I deal extremely well. I balance everything extremely well, but some days are just harder than others. And, you know, 
it's like you think to yourself how much more can be thrown at the wall before stuff starts falling off. And that's me coming as a caregiver. You know, step back and think, what is that warrior actually having to deal with as well? Not only does she have surgery on Friday, but we have dialysis on Tuesday. We have dialysis on Thursday. We have all of these things that she has to deal with when, honestly, I just have to go to work. And, yeah, it is tough juggling all this stuff. But she's a freaking rock star. And if you know Christina at all, get on. Send her a message. Send her a message and just let her know how freaking great she is. Because she's killing it. She is extremely happy all the time. Which I have no idea how she does it. I swear to God she's got some puppy DNA in her or something. Because she's just way too happy all the time. But it's her. And she's just one of the most amazing people when it comes to stuff like this. Well, when it comes to actually everything. And I know I've went on and on, but uh, again, go see Bullet Train. It is freaking amazing. And again, movies are an amazing thing because no matter how you're feeling, you can always fit that day in and go see a movie. So take your loved one to the AMC Theater. Go see a movie and uh, let me know what you think. Bye, guys. Today's topic is actually going to be funny medical stories. And if anybody has a ton of them, it's Christina because, uh, well, she's a pain in the ass. So the stories just go on and on. But uh, we're going to have some funny stories for you. A couple things that happened this week. Go ahead, Christina. So, um, this week I am starting a new job. Okay. Another job. Yeah. As a kidney advocate. Heck yeah. So I'm loving it. And what else happened this week? Uh, Tyler got a job at Lagoon. She's working flight news. She's going to work in a haunted house, which is like totally down her alley. She's a drama. She loves drama everything and acting. So she's super excited. And... I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. Yep. Uh, so you guys know her. She's having some sort of weird pain. And I guess this could be one of the funny medical things. Because she has some weird pain with her fistula. And when she went to talk to the doctor. The doctor was like well. That's like you coming in and saying. You have a weird pain in your big toe. <laughs> they are totally separate. There was absolutely no reason why it should. So he's going to go in and whittle around and. See if we can See find if they something. can find something. So she's going to go in and have a graft cut open and see what happens. Yep. So and get a huge blood clot removed out of my old fistula. We're thinking maybe that's causing some pressure. We don't know. We'll figure it out, though. Yeah. So. What, um, what was your week? Uh, I just walked. That was it? Yeah. Lots of work. Uh, John you, you went on clean. vacation. You did clean your truck in the driveway. I did clean my truck in the driveway, so the driveway looks like it's used. Lots of mud in there, so it looks awesome. Lots of mud. And uh, John took the week off, so I've been going crazy with paperwork and fighting with engineers and arguing with schedules and all that stuff. So (laughs) 
But other than that, week, it's been huh? kind of a typical week. So, all right. So we are going to go ahead and get started with the stuff. And I guess one of the first funny stories is uh, go ahead and tell them about when you came out, when you went to the store with your dad. After oh, you got okay. This is one of my favorite stories. Um, when I very first started dialysis, when I was like 24, I only did it for a few weeks before my transplant. And my fistula was still pretty new. So every time I went in, they infiltrated. So I ended up having a bruise from my shoulder all the way down my arm to my wrist. And I don't know why, but I was 24 years old, so I thought it was the coolest thing on the planet to walk around with this thing. And my dad has always just been a prankster our whole lives. And I happened to be at a grocery store with my dad and I look next to me and there's a woman that is looking at me like, oh my gosh, like who hurt you? And so me being the sarcastic, mean person I am, I slightly pointed to my dad and I shook my head to her like, he's right here, stop. And my dad looks down and sees me pointing to him and he hits my arm that's bruised. And so I jump back like, like, please don't hurt me again. And my dad's like, oh my gosh. And I just start laughing. And the lady looks at me like I am the most horrible person ever. And she just stomps off. And so after that, my dad refused to ever go shopping with me again until the bruise was gone. See, and I think uh, she's attempted to do that with me as well. Well, I would just grab her by the arm and be like, get the hell out of here. Go. Yeah, yeah. Or she'll try to pull some blind moments, and I'll just make fun of her and walk away. So she she attempts to get me on that stuff, but she's not very good at it. Hey. Uh, hey, so, hey, uh, hey, hey. I can get you just fine. Eh, no, you can't. Okay, so what about the bleeding girl? Okay, so... um. I had done dialysis in center and afterwards I had an appointment with a vascular surgeon and so I, I asked my brother to give me a ride because I can't drive and so my brother got his kids in the car and by the way Scott I love you and he drove me to this appointment and when we pulled up to the building there's a big glass wall of windows right right in front of where my brother parked. So I get out of the car and I'm going in by myself because he's sitting in the car with his kids. And I go in the door and by the time I hit the stairs, I realize that I am bleeding everywhere. And we all know how fistulas bleed. It's insane. It looked like a murder scene in seconds. And so I am trying to find where in lack of better word, and at the time, I don't know what I was thinking, where the hole is that the needles punctured into. And so I'm thinking, do I run into the medical, into the medical doctors and have them help me? Or do I run out to my brother? And my brother was a lot closer. So I turn and I head for the door. Well, I get to the door. And as I'm at the door, I hear a voice of a man and he says, bleeding girl 
And he, of course, has this amazing accent that I'm probably destroying, but it was incredible. And he said, bleeding girl. And he says, when you are bleeding, you run into the medical facility, not out of the medical facility. And so then I, of course, use my horrible wording and I say, I've got to go have my brother find my hole (laughs) because I'm thinking the hole in my arm. So that part was just awful in itself. And so he says, come on. And so by then I had found the hole and I had pressure on it. And so I start walking up the stairs and this whole time my brother and his kids are sitting in the car, not knowing any of this was going on. And so I walk up with the doctor and he's taken me behind, like behind the, what would you? Partition? The wall? Yeah, like back where the patients don't go. So he's taking me back in like their office area. There we go. And the whole time he's saying, bleeding girl, there's a bleeding girl. There's a bleeding girl. This is a bleeding girl. And so they take me in one of the rooms and like, you could tell they had never had to deal with someone bleeding there. So they're all scrambling, trying to find stuff to come in and retape it and put more pressure on it. And it was just so incredible because all of them were just so thrown off. And yeah, and they had to go and clean up all my blood in the waiting room. And the best part about this is I was going to see a vascular surgeon because I had been having some problems with my fistula. So about two weeks later, um, I had to go in for an emergency surgery on my fistula. So I wasn't going to my normal doctor. And I went in and the doctor came in to meet with me and he says, oh my gosh, it's the bleeding girl. And I was like, oh my gosh, no way. And so we end up telling all the nurses and everyone in the surgical room the story and we all just sat around laughing. So it ended up being just hilarious. Okay, um, so you have a story about your first dialysis? Yeah, so <sighs> this story is quite dramatic. It was a life-changing moment in my life. So um, we were trying to put off dialysis as long as possible because I was getting a transplant with a living donor. And so I, I one day just was feeling awful. My heart was having palpitations. And so I ended up going to the emergency, emergency room. When I got there, they did labs and it came back that my potassium was way high. So they came in and they gave me this drink that is supposed to somehow get all your potassium in your body and make you go to the restroom to get it out. Like number two, guys. So, yeah, so potassium, number two. So I'm in the ER and nothing's happening. You know, I end up waiting about two hours after I've drank this drink and nothing's happening, but they, they have a room ready for me. So me and my mom... Uh, we go up to the room, they get us all settled in there, and so nothing is happening. We're just kind of hanging out, you know, and my nurse comes in, and keep in mind, at this time, I'm like 24. I'm single, and I am like a weirdo young kid, and my nurse comes walking in, and he, he is like McDreamy. 
he is gorgeous. He was sent there just for me. He was beautiful. He, I've been told how many times he's beautiful. Oh, he was beautiful. So beautiful. And he comes walking in and introduces himself. And my mom, of course, the the crazy mother that she is, she says, well, are you single, honey? And he's like, no, I'm married. And my mom's like, well, are you happily married? And he's like, yeah. And so my mom's doing her normal thing. And so he leaves the room. And about 10 to 15 minutes later, another McDreamy walks in. And this is a McDreamy, like, in a different way. Like, he's more like that bad boy McDreamy. And so, of course, I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at him. And so my mom goes down her list of questions again. And and he's married and everything. And so I'm mortified because my mom is just being Pimp- my mother. Pimping you out? Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> she tried that a lot. And so... He, the second guy that came in was my dialysis tech. And so he says, hey, we're going to put you on dialysis and get this going. And so I'm thinking, okay, cool, let's, let's do this. It, it just is what it is. And I have completely forgotten at this time that I drank a drink to make me get rid of all the potassium in my body. So he comes in and he sticks my needles and... He's starting up the machine, and I ask him, hey, what happens if I have to go to the bathroom? Because the bathroom's right there, like, not even five feet away. It's right there. And he says, oh, well, we'll bring in a bedpan. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, we don't unhook you when you're at the hospital. We'll just bring in a bedpan. And at that precise moment, my stomach starts going bananas. Like, it is seriously... Oh, it was insane. It started going crazy. So I was like, uh, I think I have to go to the bathroom. And he's like, okay, let me call your nurse. And so this beautiful nurse comes walking in with a bedpan. Another beautiful one. No, he was the first beautiful one. Oh, okay, sorry. There was two beautiful. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Just two, okay. Yeah, so this, the first beautiful nurse comes walking in with a bedpan. And at the time, I didn't know it was called a chuck, but like a dog potty pad, you know. And he says, well, how do you want to do this? And I'm like, I don't, I want to die. Like, I do not want to do this. And so I'm just, I'm mortified. And my mom's like, my mom, honestly, I, I have never thanked her enough for this. And I will, I will be in her debt for the rest of my life because she stands up and says, Oh, don't worry, honey. I got this. We can handle this. And I'm just like, thank you, mom. Thank you so much. And so Mr. McDreamy is like, are you sure I can really help? And my mom's like, no, no, no. So McDreamy, McDreamy number one leaves. Blood pressure. Blood pressure. So McDreamy number one leaves and so the dialysis tech is it, he's in there and I was like, um, can you just go out for a while so we do this? And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to leave the room. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, please leave the room, you know? And so he decided he would stand outside the door with one foot in the door 
and apparently try to look the other way or something. So, me and my mom together, which, again, if you've been on dialysis, you know that cramping is very common on dialysis. And it's not like a cramp. It's like a charley horse on steroids. And so my mom comes over. My mom is this teeny little woman who, what would you say, five foot one? Yeah. Five foot one. And she said, she's trying to help me. I'm trying to hold myself up. And I'm, I'm getting these Charlie horses and cramps everywhere. So I can't really hold myself up. And she's trying to get this doggone bedpan underneath me. So the both of us are just having the hardest time. And she finally gets it under there. And my potassium starts exiting. We'll put it that way. Yes, it does. And so potassium ends. I'm thinking this disastrous nightmare is over. So again, I try to hold my body up while I'm cramping. And my mom gets the thing out of there. So I lay back down and everything. Everything is over. I can like rest in peace, you know, like nightmare averted. But then my stomach starts going again. Again. So, we have to have Mr. McDreamy get us another bedpan and another animal potty pad. And we go for round two. Same thing is happening. I am cramping. My mom is barely getting this thing underneath me. This is mortifying. And I get nauseous out of nowhere. So my mom gets this bedpan underneath me. I start getting crazy nauseous. And so I have to tell McDreamy number two, I'm nauseous. And he brings in a nausea bag and I automatically sit up and go to throw up in this bag. But when I do, I bend my arm and my needles infiltrate right through my fistula (laughs) yeah how bad can it get so my needles go right through i'm throwing up the dialysis tech is trying to shut the machine off and he's trying to get prepped to get the needles out and and i'm throwing up while on a bedpan while my mom is trying to hold a bedpan and I was mortified. Life was over. At that point, life was over. I'm kind of glad that uh, you had to shit in front of all these people because it kind of gave me a chance to uh, be able to sashay in a little bit later. Yeah. um, Okay, so I have a funny story, and it has to do with a blind chick. So I take uh, testosterone, and I've been giving it to myself for the last little bit. And uh, not even thinking, I decided to ha- hand a needle to a blind chick and be like, hey, just uh, throw this in my <laughs> back fat a little bit. And so Christina walks over. She's like, oh, I've never done this. I've never done this. So I'm like, ah, you just kind of push it in and slowly put the medicine in. So she, so I'm, I pretty much bend over and just the, top part of my butt and she sticks the needle in doesn't stick the needle she stabs 
the needle in. <laughs> and then she hands me the needle back and says, okay, I'm done. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, no. You, it's still full. It's still full. You didn't do anything. So I stupidly, again, give a needle to a blind chick <laughs> and say, okay, just do it give me the shot. So she gives me the shot, and her depth perception sucks, so she pulls the needle out and then stabs me again, and then pulls the needle out and stabs me again, and I'm just screaming, like, what the hell are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm trying to give you the shot. I'm like, you just stabbed me three times. And she's like, oh. Sorry. I didn't think I, I, I didn't think I stabbed you. I'm like, yeah, three times. So then. And then he had to end up doing it. So then I'm. I grab the needle and I've got alcohol pads on one side and I'm attempting to give my shot on the other side (laughs) while she's just laughing hysterically that she just stabbed me like 18 times to give me a tiny, tiny shot. So that one is one of the funny blind chick moments. So another one is uh, there was a, we're going to call this the freaking overdose story. So, Christina ended up getting pancreatitis, which, again, a little bit less harsh than a man cold, but it's way up, though. So, <laughs> they actually compelled it to childbirth. It's actually pretty serious. And so, it's awful. In it's order, awful. In order to give pain meds for that, it's pretty much touch and go of, okay, I mean, again, it's like childbirth, so they're trying to give her enough morphine to cover this. Well, doing this, she ends up just in extreme amount of pain. And so they keep on giving her morphine and keep on giving her morphine and keep on giving her morphine. And I just kept well, asking for more and more and more. And I, you know, I won't say what hospital or what doctors or whatever, but I think it didn't get translated that she got a couple of doses. So every time she hit that call button, which was like every 10 seconds... <laughs> They would come in and like, okay, well, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, we'll give you this. Well, they end up overdosing on morphine. And so she's in an extreme amount of pain. She's overdosing on morphine. Me and her mom are stressed out beyond belief. And every time she kind of wakes up a little bit out of the morphine coma... She looks at her mom and looks at me and is like, if you don't think I know that you guys have me here without me knowing, I'm on to you. No, I remember saying you were both on, one was on the right side and one was on the left side of my bed. And I, so in my mind, I I had concocted this whole thing, but my mom and Michael are standing there and I was like, I don't know how they got you, and I don't know why you flipped on me, but I know what's going on. I will get out of here. And so in my mind, on all these medications, I had for some reason turned my hospital room into like... Like a hostel or something? Well, it was like a basement in an apartment, but it was like a drug den. And people were selling drugs. And for some reason, Michael and my mom had, like, put me there and was like, hey, give her drugs. 
And so I was like, I'm going to get out of here. And when I do, like, you two are going down. And it was insane because it truly, the hospital room completely transformed in my mind. There was a window on the right side that I thought I could get out of. I had planned escapes. It was, it was so intense. So, and her mom, while she says this, her mom looks at me and she's like, did you hear that? I'm like, yeah, she's freaking nuts. And she's like, well, what the heck's going on? I'm like, I don't know. She's freaking wacko. (laughs) And so, and again, I throw in some comedy with it just to keep everybody centered. And we found it actually became kind of serious because we actually found out they gave her way too much morphine. So they ended up giving her Narcam, which if you ever experienced Narcam, it's a one hell of an experience as well because they go from batshit crazy to, oh my God, this is painful, to, oh my God, give me more medicine. So, And at that time, though, like the crazy thing is before I had gone in the hospital, I had been put on two medications that apparently... They interacted with each other. other or they kind of gave you an overdose of that as well? Yeah. So I was hallucinating nonstop. Oh, and the hallucinations keep going when we get home. So we end up going home and she would randomly, well, okay, so it was actually kind of scary because she was just hallucinating beyond belief. I was having conversations with people who just were not there. She would get up and she would walk into the wall and she'd be like, oh. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, oh, uh, I'm getting back in bed. I'm like, okay. And then she would yell out in the hall, Gary! I'm like, what the hell are you doing? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. She's like, no. Gary's in the hallway. And then she'll go, Kashina! I'm like, what the hell are you doing? One, it's 2 o'clock in the damn morning. I've got to be up in two hours. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. There's some party going on. If you think I don't know about it, you are solely mistaken. So she became a valley girl at that time, too. So I'm looking out. I'm like, okay, Gailey is not in the hallway. Kashina is not in the hallway. But I was convinced. Yes. Yeah. And then she goes, oh, so I guess your mom isn't either. I'm like, no. My mom is not in the hallway. And I finally had to shake her and wake her up at least a little bit or something and be like, hey. Nobody is planning you a party. Nobody is planning you a birthday party. And then uh, the look she gave me was like devastation. She's like, oh. I'm like, well, damn it, now I feel bad and I kind of want to plan a little party. And and tell them about the cats. So, and then uh, go ahead and tell them about the cats. So, for some reason, I saw cats everywhere. And I would... The craziest thing, because I would see a cat, and I would lean over to pet the cat, and there's no cat. My hand would go right through it. And then there would be another cat that popped up, and I'd try to pet it, and my hand would just go right through it. And and again, this is kind of like a scary time, because she's doing this all the time. And she would wake up out of sleeping, like, I'd finally get her to sleep, and then she'd wake up and go, hey, kitty! I'm like, oh my god, she's freaking crazy. All of that ends up happening, and, you know, we end up fixing the medicine and all that stuff. But, yeah. But, yeah, 
That was not going to do that again. That was a random screaming her brother and sister's name and apparently thinking my mom was in the hallway because there was some sort of surprise party that we were planning for her. Yeah. So I was convinced. And then uh, this was like right after I met her. The she got out of my Ugh. truck, and she goes running. Okay, wait, you have to say like it was one of the first times, first times yeah. I met your parents. It was the first time she like met a bunch of my family, my parents, and my parents go outside. They're and all outside. You know, it's like a barbecue or something like that. And she immediately gets out of the truck and she starts walking to the neighbor's yard and goes, "Here, kitty, 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 here, kitty, 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 kitty." And, and of they, course, I was like, your neighbor has kittens. There's like three or four kittens over I'm here. Like, no, there's not. And she's like, yes, there is. And she goes running, and they fly away. Yep. So that was uh, Christina's flying cat moment in front of, what, nine of my siblings yeah. and parents. And, and then she yeah. just looks at him and goes, well, Whoops. blind moment. Yeah, that was a blind moment. Yeah. So then, and then there's also... Uh, random texts to the wrong people. Yeah, that's happened. It happens actually all the time. I have a friend that her name is Melissa. Melissa, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mistake her for Michael all the time. Yeah, and we kind of... Uh, Said loving messages. Yeah, and, and so... Sorry, Melissa. Yeah, sorry about that. And same with... Uh, she, like, I'll be texting her about something... And then, like, my mom will text her out of the blue. So then she'll reply to my message to my mom. Mm-hmm. And then my mom will just be like, what, what the heck? What? And she's like, oh, sorry, like blind moment. Yep. Or she'll get a, or will randomly text one of her friends that it'll be, hey, you need to be over here at 6 p.m. for dinner. And what? Like, what? Like, uh, oh. Blind moment. That was from Michael. And I talk text. And so I've sent some pretty bizarre text messages. And they've said some insane things. Yes. All right. So uh, go ahead and tell us about uh, Tyler when she would go to dialysis with you. And she would end up having to go to the bathroom. Yep. So I took Tyler with me to dialysis all the time when she was younger if she was sick, my parents had to work, so I took her with me, and she was a little butthead, because she would go, she'd say she had to go to the bathroom, and she'd go to the bathroom, and she pulled the alarm every single time she went to the bathroom. So on cue, four or five times during dialysis, the alarm went off, woke everybody up, and everyone freaked out until we just got used to it. It's Tyler. It's Tyler. Yeah. All right. And then this one is not really a medical moment, but it's a blind chick moment. And Ah. it was when I first met Christina. And, well, first off, my dumb ass thought I was getting tickets for Lady Gaga. (laughs) So, I mean, I planned this whole thing. I refused to tell him what was going on. I told him all to get nicely dressed up. (laughs) And I figured we were going to this concert. And Lady Gaga was coming out, and they were going to meet her. And we go to this little playhouse. And it was actually one of the coolest playhouses we've ever been to. Yeah, we, we absolutely we loved went going. Tons of times after that. But 
I mean, I got the perfect table. It was in the far back. It was right in the center where you could see down onto the stage. And about halfway through, I lean over to Christina and I'm like, where the hell is Lady Gaga? And I was like, what do you mean? Because one of the characters was Lady Gaga. And I'm like, well, Lady Gaga is supposed to be who? And she's like, no, it's a play. I'm like, no, it said featuring Lady Gaga. I'm like, no, that's who... It was actually Wicked-er, and so they put a spin on Wicked, the musical, and so Dorothy was Lady Gaga. And then I lean over, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And Christina looks at me, and she goes, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean, don't know? You're not watching it? She's like, you took a blind chick to a play and put her in the dark corner in the back. I'm like, oh, yeah. I guess that's kind of stupid, huh? He thought they were the best seats. And so yeah. he, like, specifically got those seats. And specifically I like, got those seats. I paid extra for those seats. I, and like I said, I had them all dressed up. And about halfway through, and I'm like, <laughs> well, Lady Gaga's not coming out. And we and all we all went walking into this little playhouse, all dressed up, all fancy, and everyone else is in their normal clothing, and we looked like weirdos. Well, and I remember thinking, I'm like, huh, they're not really dressed up for Lady Gaga, because this is <laughs> supposed to be like this big thing. And no, not Lady Gaga, some high school kid that pretended to be Lady Gaga. Yeah. So, those are uh, some of our funny stories. In the uh, comment section, we put, uh, show your funny story, and the funniest ones will uh, kind of repeat on here as well. Awesome. So, uh, thanks guys. This is uh, Michael. And Christina. This is the Living on Dialysis podcast. See ya. Hey guys, welcome to Christina's Crazy Corner. Today is going to be the best crazy corner ever, because we're at Beans and Brews, right? Yeah, and we all have coffee, so we're all happy, and we're all here in person. So tonight we have Amber, Susie, Tyler, and you got me. So I've heard that tonight's not going to be so funny. Let's see. No. Here we go, Ty. All right. So today we're talking about the Sodder children. If you've ever heard of this case, never heard of this one. Me Sodder neither. It's familiar to me, actually. Ooh. I ooh. am obsessed with like crime podcasts. I am too, but after I hear it, I like delete it out of my brain. Yeah, that's something that happens too. <laughs> yeah. I'll remember like halfway through. I'll be like, oh yeah, that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ty. So this is actually a case about five children that went missing on Christmas Eve. All five of them went missing together? Well, all of them went missing at the same time. There's actually ten children at, in total. In this, is it in a family? Yes. Or? They're all the same like family. Ten children? And when half of them this? went missing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know we're in Utah. It was 19... <laughs> not in Utah. It was West Virginia, 1945. Oh, Ooh, wow. okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No DNA or anything. Alright, so, so during Christmas Eve, um, they actually, it talks about in here how they actually were just getting ready for bed, and it's basically going through everything, and that they were just getting ready for bed and stuff, but so apparently, 
stop it. <laughs> They're just getting ready for bed and stuff. They were getting ready for bed and stop it. I would say stop like brushing their teeth. Yeah, maybe, a nice warm cup of milk. Maybe Christmas pajamas. I hate you guys. I quit Christmas this job. Time. See, I thought this was supposed to be dark, but Christmas? Yeah. Okay. That's a good Christmas. Sorry. <laughs> We've all been scolded. Go ahead. Okay. So, Jenny Sauter was the mom. Jenny was woken up at 12.30 a.m. by a prank caller. The caller asked for someone who didn't live at the house and laughed in a way that Jenny would later recall as weird and unregular and was drowned out by the clinking of glasses and background laughter, so she just thought it was some drunk guy at a bar that was probably intoxicated and just decided you to know that that guy is probably at the same beans and brewery that we're at right now <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're annoying but so a half an hour later she was again woken to a loud thud an object had landed on their roof it's santa i remember this and that's what i thought too when i heard that but no <laughs> and it rolled down the side of their house and she just ignored it and she eventually woke up for the third time at 1am what, what if it was Santa and he had rolled off the roof and, and you he just, was internally bleeding you just let him her. go but you know what I feel for this mom You're she has 10 kids for everybody. you have 10 kids like True, but you don't, don't you think? Don't, don't you think care. maybe it was one of the kids like snuck no, out of bed? No and... one's screaming at that point. You go back to bed. <laughs> you just you're done. Okay. <laughs> good idea. Good idea. Okay. So she was woken at about one a.m. again, but this time she smelt smoke. Oh, that might be a wake up bird. The home office, which the father George Sauters, it was his office, was on fire. Jenny ran to their bedroom to wake him up, and they dashed around trying to get all their children up. And so those who stayed awake late, the kids, were up in the attic, access blocked by a burning staircase. So they weren't able to get up to the kids. He tried to, he grabbed the phone and tried to call the fire department, but it wasn't working. The phone wasn't working at all. So how did the drunk call her? Well, it was it had after, been working. Oh, after now, the fire. I got you. The fire might have stopped And it the noise on the no, roof it was have been the kids in the attic. Maybe. There was kids but in the here's the thing. The two parents, the three eldest siblings, George, John, and Marion, and two-year-old Sylvia escaped the burning house. One of the children ran to the neighbors to call the fire department, while George ran to the side to grab his ladder in order to climb to the attic to rescue the remaining kids. Oh, good idea. Well, the ladder wasn't in its usual position. It wasn't there resting against the side of the house. They could, didn't know where it was. Until later, it was actually found in a ditch. Oh, wow. Away oh, wow. from the house. So someone knew kids were in the attic. Mm -hmm. And then he tried to start one of his trucks to drive to the side of the house to get back into the up into the attic it wouldn't start though the truck had actually just been um looked at and said it was in perfect condition he went to his other truck that one also wasn't working both the trucks weren't working hmm. but meanwhile the fire brigade was severely understaffed 
due to both the time of the year and the fact most firefighters were serving overseas in the war. So, the fire chief, who was the only man working that night, could not drive the truck. He had to ring around to find other firemen. Why can't so, he drive the truck? Can you imagine? Because he needs other people to help him be able to work the truck and get everything ready. Oh my gosh. It takes more than so, one. It's like a whole crew on those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so it was around an hour until the mm. firemen got there. And their house had already burned to the ground. The five members of their families Aww. trapped inside. And so they went through the ashes. They were unable to find any trace of the five children. No bodies, no bones. So the kids in the attic were not in the attic? Well, they could hear them in the attic when the fire started. They're all freaking out. But so they just thought that they probably would have passed, up, passed out from all the smoke inhalation and stuff up there. But they didn't find any evidence that the people, the kids, were already still in the house. Hmm. And so there were actually, there's actually a lot of... I wonder if it's possible for a fire to burn so much that it just ruins any evidence. Yeah. Like can the bodies burn and just It like would have to be... Yeah. I've heard that you can't really, like, burn bone. It has to be over... Well, they cremate people. Yeah, but it's at like... It's like thousands of degrees. Yeah. It's not a normal you could house not, fire. You could not replicate that. So there that. should have been evidence for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was actually a lot of um, speculation on what happened to them. So four days after the fire, George Sauter bulldozed soil over the ashes of the burn. Can you say bulldozed again? Bulldozed. One more time? Bulldozed. Oh, good job. Stop it. (laughs) Of his burned family home, intending to construct a memorial garden to his deceased children. Although the fire chief had instructed him to leave the site alone so the fire marshal's office could investigate the ruins further, Uh, George and Jenny couldn't stand the site of their destroyed home and ignored his request. The next day, a hastily conducted inquest found the fire was caused by faulty wiring. But George remembered that he had just had um, an electrician there. I remember that. He just had an electrician there for the Christmas lights. I told you I'd remember halfway through. (laughs) And so it would have also cut all power to the house. It would have cut Mm -hmm. power to probably the neighborhood too. But Every neighbor still had electricity. They still had electricity during the fire. Yeah. So there wasn't faulty wiring. Huh. One of the jury members who actually served on the inquest had a previous run-in with George that sparked further suspicion. He was a life insurance salesman who became annoyed when George rejected his business. And he said, and this is in quotes, the house will go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. That's what yeah, the insurance guy said? Mm-hmm. My God! But, so more suspicious, evidence mounted up to suggest this was a case of arson. A telephone repairman inspected a hanging phone line that was connected to the house and um, asserted that it had been deliberately cut. Which would require someone to climb a 4.3 meter telegraph pole to reach a further 60 centimeters to reach the wire. In other words, it was really hard to get to. Huh. Yeah. 
So, so not only did they dispatch two trucks, they took a ladder and tossed it in a ditch and climbed a huge yes. telephone pole. I was just about to talk about the ladder. Okay. The ladder was found thrown in an embankment 20 meters from the house. And... How far is 20 meters? 20 meters? Yeah. It's three feet per meter. Oh, so that's so 60 feet. 60 feet. feet. Ten kids, though. They could play with a ladder. Touche. We would but drag a ladder. <laughs> There's a ladder. There's a ladder to do tons just, of stuff. Yeah. When Those things are handy. Yeah. But so, they're actually, as the case started to get out there, there was actually a bus driver who serviced the route that passed the Sauter house and told the police he had seen a group of people throwing balls of fire at the house. Oh, what the hell? Mm-hmm. No, that one's like the group of kids, or mm-hmm. no, oh. no, not a group of kids, people. Like balls like, of fire, like firework. Is like that the sound she was hearing. Hit yeah, the that's what I was just about to say. Jenny mm-hmm. Sauter recalled being woken by a thud on the roof, and months later, as the snow melted, two-year-old Sylvia was playing in the yard when she found a hard green rubber ball. George Sauter had seen this before. It was a pineapple bomb. Oh, jeez. So, they were deliberately attacked beforehand as well. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so, she found, um, as Jenny Sauter was actually sifting through the remains, she found kitchen appliances that kept their shape. Yet, the family were told the fire department that the fire was hot enough to burn their children to a point where no bones remained. But appliances made it? That couldn't have been possible. Maybe it depends on which room, though, too. Like, the one area the burned house more down, than the other yeah. one did. The heat does yeah. rise, and the higher... And as the house crumbles, hotter. the kitchen could have burnt, but not as badly as another room, or yeah. not as hot as yeah. another room. She actually contacted a local crematorium about it to inquire about this, and was told a two-hour fire burning at 1,100 degrees Celsius would still leave human bones intact. Wow. Ooh. So my question is, I wonder if they gave the police enough time before bulldozing the house to actually look for the remains. Yeah. And and because like if he got right on the bulldozer that and would when make he it. he did get on the bulldozer, like how did they find that they found all this stuff underneath what he bulldozed away? Well, the thing is they would have been able to still thoroughly search the soil. They would have sifted through everything. They still would have been able to find. They would have still been able to find at least one piece of evidence. Which gotcha. they never did. So, after all that happened, there were reportedly sightings of the children outside of the house. They were actually... Like that night? That night, a woman claimed to have actually witnessed the fire and saw the children in a passing car. Oh. So, how many total children are gone? Five. Five. And five, five are children. still got out. Yes. Okay. Whoa. But so, the five are then... then so... The, so I had like eight siblings growing up, but are we, there is a chance, like we would have been dumb enough to set up like four of them up in an attic and right. set up a fire and like, we would have been like, haha, we're going to move the ladder and we're going to turn these trucks off. Like, is there anything pointing to the siblings? No, there's right? nothing. They had no idea about it because one of the older siblings, she's 17, the oldest sister actually put the younger ones to bed. And she was the one that made sure that they were all in bed. And that was, um, but then 
they decided to stay up. So the older siblings were the ones that got out of the house, and they yeah. wouldn't have done that. Besides the two-year-old Sylvia, she also got out of the house because of her parents got hurt. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was the younger children that actually were in the attic. That That's ones so that sad. would most likely think of doing something like that. Okay, so so where does this go? Do we ever find them? No. There are a lot of sightings though. They The parents actually got sent a letter, a picture of a man that they suspected was one of their children growing up. Whoa. But, so the mom and the dad, they both passed away before even being able to know if their children oh were still gosh. alive or not. The, um, George died beforehand, and... How old was he? Um, he died in 1969. I don't, it doesn't so say exactly... about 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, about 20 years later. And Jenny actually, after that, she actually dressed in black for the remainder of her life. Aww. She didn't wear anything else. So would I. She, I can't even imagine. She spent her life tending to the memorial garden at the site of the fire, and she died in 1989. Oh gosh, she lived a long time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Just did not knowing. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's awful. Okay, let's all speculate. What do we think, where do we think the kids are? Do we think Devil's they're alive? Advocate, a little bit. On the flip side, I wondered about the parents, because they got right in there with the bulldozer. Like, hey, we have yeah. too many kids, let's yeah, that's decrease kind of those a numbers. Thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's questionable. But and did they know but that there was only one fireman on duty? But they also suspected that the father was involved in the mafia. That something well, that's our answer. There. That answers all everything. <laughs> everything. That answers it all. We know it all now. But they said that he had some very bad people coming after him. Whoa. So that explains it all, right there. We know it. <laughs> they threw green balls. At the, the green house. balls at the house and just yeah. All right. Well, that one's insane. So, I all I right, guys. I feel so bad for that mama. Too. No. Oh, that's horrible. Poor mama. Oh. Okay, guys. Well, we are done with time. So, thanks for coming. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.